Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by the Liverpool.com writer, James Martin. And we're still in the midst of the international break for now, but there was some major news last week as the nominations for the Ballon d'Or were revealed. And obviously last year when Liverpool nearly won the quadruple, they had five players nominated, six if you count Sadio Mane, who I think ended up finishing second uh, in the stakes behind Karim Benzema. But this year... Obviously, in light of Liverpool struggling so much and having that unexpected collapse, it was only Mohamed Salah who made the list. However, we do expect that to change going forward and Liverpool to have multiple players on the nominee list in the years to come. So in this podcast, we're going to take a look at which players have the best chance of winning the award in kind of the next maybe five, ten years. Um, so obviously, Liverpool aren't really used to enjoying success in this regard. Michael Owen is the only player to have ever won it um, from the Reds. And you compare that to some of the other teams where Liverpool would say they're kind of of a similar stature. Real Madrid have had eight different players win the award, Barcelona six and Manchester United four. So it's an area where they are lagging behind slightly. But one player, James, who came very close to winning the award in the not too distant memory was Virgil van Dijk, who in 2019 was only seven points behind Lionel Messi in the voting. Just to reflect on that before we get into looking ahead, do you think retrospectively Van Dijk should have won that one or was it fair enough that that Messi just about had the edge over him that year? It's such a tricky question, isn't it? That's the problem with the award in a way. You're comparing incomparables. I mean, how do you really decide if a centre-back had a better season or better year, I should say, as it was at the time? It, of course, has changed now to to an award done by seasons, but for a long time, it was done on calendar years. So, how do you decide who's had a better year out of out of Messi and Van Dijk? It's um, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a sort of contrived question, isn't it? But you know, playing the game as you kind of have to. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably fair enough. I mean, I think it's it's right that Van Dijk came so close, but and you know that's testament to the year he had as well. Because you look at you know, defenders who have won the award. I think you're going back to 2006 and Fabio Cannavaro for the last time that happened. So for him to go so close shows what an exceptional year it had been. And of course, because we're looking at the year, you're looking at the Champions League win and then you're looking at getting Liverpool well on the way to that league title as well. It wasn't wrapped up, but it was as good as by the end of the year, really. So you are sort of looking at those two achievements in conjunction. So definitely he had a strong case, but at the same time, this was Messi still more or less in his peak. He was putting up ridiculous numbers for Barcelona. He could have won it every year for, you know, 15, 20 years on the trot and you, and you couldn't have too many complaints about it. So, you know, it, it's tough for Van Dijk because one year it seems the footballing world collectively got bored of Messi and Ronaldo winning it and decided to give it to Modric, which was ridiculous. And Van Dijk would have been a far more worthy winner in 2019 than Modric was when he got the award. So, 
you look at it in that way and you think, well, okay, he was unlucky not to win it. But in terms of just Messi being Messi, he was still incredible in 2019. He's still incredible now for that matter, but he was he was, you know, dominant in the league in that in that season. So I don't have a massive problem with it. Yeah, obviously, you know, from the Liverpool standpoint, Virgil van Dijk, Champions League winner in 2019, I think probably produced the the best individual season from a centre back that, that I've ever seen, certainly. Um so if there was ever going to be a year kind of in this clock period, I think, and maybe we can talk about one or two other players who, who've had a shout in that time, but if there was ever going to be an individual season in that period when you combine kind of individual and collective performance that was worthy of a Ballon d'Or, I think it would have been Van Dijk that year. But you can Messi is the greatest who's ever done it, and you can't ever really begrudge him winning the award from that standpoint. I mean, that season... Yes, Barcelona obviously famously lost to Liverpool in the uh, semi-finals of the Champions League on the end of that comeback, but Messi did win La Liga, uh, reached the semi-finals of the Copa America with Argentina, and I mean the individual stats are really what what swung it his way. Um, had a look at them before we came on: fifty-one goals and twenty-two assists in in fifty appearances um, in all competitions. So, I think you know once you read that, it's hard to get too um, too frustrated over it. I suppose. But yeah, let's move on to kind of the current landscape then. You know, we're talking about Messi. He's now left Europe. He's going for into Miami. Ronaldo is obviously playing for Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. They, they've both left, um, you know, the European mainland. This era that they've had where they're jostling for the Ballon d'Or every year, they're jostling for that title of best player in the world, is now pretty much over. You'd have to say, I think Messi will probably win it this year just because of having won the World Cup with Argentina which comes under consideration for this period. And I think there'll be kind of a feeling of let's give Messi kind of the recognition for that. Let's give him his due. But I think that will almost certainly be the last time either of those two players win it. Ronaldo's not even nominated this year for that matter. First time, I think in about 20 years that he hasn't been. So looking ahead to this new era of the game we've got then, I mean, who who do you see James as the big players? If we're talking about the, the Liverpool the Liverpool players that can potentially win the award, who are they going to be the big competitors who are kind of there year after year in contention for the award? Well, I think we first have to mention Mohamed Salah. You know, he's, he's still at Liverpool for now. And obviously he's been the one other than Van Dijk in, in the last few years. He's been a consistent presence in, in the in the shortlist, if nothing else. Um, I was looking back at it for a piece the other day, actually. It's fifth is his best finish, which is very surprising. But... Um, you know, he's always in that conversation. He's, you know, in the top 30 best players year after year. And we, we've seen he can explode. You know, if he'd had that debut Liverpool season when Liverpool had done a bit more collectively, if he'd posted those kind of numbers, that then you'd have seen him right up there, potentially even winning it. And, and you know, he's got more, more dimensions to his game now. We've seen him become this kind of creator supreme. And we've seen Messi, you know, have that same kind of, transition and, and like we said he'll probably claim the award this year at, at 36 so you can't look at Salah and say he's 31 maybe maybe his chance has gone you know he, he probably won't win it well, he definitely won't win it this year I know he's, he's shortlisted but as we say it's basically between Messi and Haaland um, you know the next one he'd also be looking at and thinking it's probably a struggle because Liverpool are in the Europa League so that's always going to be a big consideration and that could be it you know if he goes to Saudi Arabia but 
you know, maybe that's a that's something Liverpool can use in kind of if they want to extend that contract, they can say to him, look, you've been chasing this this award because we know he wants it. He talked about how he was shocked when he came seventh in in 2021, I think it was. So, you know, we know he wants it. We know he's not going to get it in Saudi Arabia, and so. If he does stay at Liverpool, which of course is a big if, I think he's still the one who you'd look at as as sort of holding the torch as, as the biggest hope of bringing the Ballon d'Or to Anfield, just because he's incredible. He is the biggest superstar on the roster at the moment. And yeah, obviously you've got the African Cup of Nations as well. There's, there's one this year and then there's another one, I think, scheduled for next year, because I think this one was meant to be last year or something like that. But in any case, there's another one coming up soon. So you know, if you can string together that kind of club form and maybe doing something on the international stage, we've seen it with Messi, the, the World Cup has obviously elevated his case for this year, then then he does still have a shot at it. Uh, it just depends whether he stays. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, obviously that that is the big question mark around Sally, you know, how long he's, he's going to be at Liverpool and um, certainly... It seems unlikely. I think, as you wrote on the slide the other day, James, that you know if he does go to to Saudi Arabia, then the league's not yet at a level where you'd, you'd still be in contention to to win the award. Um, and we'll we'll definitely touch a little bit more on Salah and that whole kind of issue of uh, maybe peaking at the wrong time um, in a moment. But in terms of kind of the international um, scene, I suppose. Um, I think f- from my perspective, I think the, the two players who could almost be the natural successors to Messi and Ronaldo and be right up there as the, the yearly challenges are, are Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. I mean, if anything, I think Mbappe is kind of the Messi figure and, and Haaland is the more maybe robotic goal scorer in, in the style of, of Ronaldo um, to a degree. But then I think you've also got, you know, Jude Bellingham, obviously still very young making huge waves at Real Madrid at the moment. I think he could be in the conversation multiple times. Vinicius as well. Certainly, if he can get back to kind of the form, you know, he's been showing in the past couple of years with, with Real Madrid that, you know, the numbers he and Benzema have been putting up are remarkable and obviously they've enjoyed a lot of success. I mean, I would look at that kind of quartet and say those are the ones that are going to be kind of in in Europe, the main competitors. Um for Liverpool to Liverpool players to reckon with. I mean, is there anyone else you'd add to that list, or do you think it's going to be the the next era really is going to belong to those players, and it's it's up to one of these Liverpool stars that we're going to talk about to to muscle their way in? Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty strong list. Obviously, there's still time for someone to kind of emerge and throw their hat in the ring. But in terms of the kind of players who fall into that kind of the middle of the Venn diagram, if you like, of sort of young but established at the very highest level, you are looking at, yeah, certainly those four. It's uh, And yeah, because of the sort of preference for attackers we've seen over the years, maybe you would say, you, you wouldn't rule Bellingham out by any means, but you would you would maybe look at Mbappe and Haaland as just those kind of goal scorers supreme who, who would, you know, want to be in that conversation year on year, particularly if Mbappe gets his move as we expect next year it's not like he couldn't win it at PSG of course but when you go to Real Madrid we saw it with with Ronaldo where he became the, that kind of ever present at the very top of those lists so yeah I think I think those are the ones you'd, you'd maybe look out for right now and, and like you say anyone hoping to sort of 
upset the apricot from Liverpool will be will be gunning for those players. Yeah, so essentially the benchmark is probably going to be set by by Haaland scoring for 50 goals a season and Mbappe probably getting quite close, especially, like you say, if he does end up at Real Madrid. Um, let's return to Mohamed Salah briefly then. I think you made the point there. His first season, Liverpool scores, I think it was 44 goals all competitions. Liverpool obviously lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid. Maybe if they'd won it, he hadn't gone off injured. Who knows? Salah, it, it may maybe could have been Salah's year. Um, twenty twenty two, Salah I think gets maybe thirty one goals. Another very good season. I mean, especially in the, in the first half of the campaign, he's absolutely you know staggering the numbers he's putting up um, at the at the beginning of the season. But then Liverpool obviously miss out on the title by a point. They lose the Champions League final narrowly to, to Real Madrid, and also he loses. Um, in the Africa Cup of Nations final as well. And again, you start to think, I think Salah ended up sixth maybe last year, but Mane was second. If that was flipped around and, you know, Salah was on the winning side against Benzema in the Champions League final, then maybe we're talking about Salah being the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. So the question I want to ask before we move on to a couple of other players is, I mean, how much do you think these individual awards should be dependent on on team success like that? I mean, is it a bit of a a flawed way of looking at it or is it fair enough, do you think? I think it's probably a bit flawed, but I also think it's inevitable. You know, it's a team sport success. The measure of success in football is so ingrained as the kind of successes of the team. And, you know, great individuals do have to, to some extent, kind of at least... I mean, you don't have to win silverware to be a great player, but that's that's obvious. We've seen players, you know, at, at poor teams do exceptionally well, and and you know it shouldn't detract from it. But I, I think I, I do think there's a sense of inevitability about it, and and I don't think there's necessarily anything too wrong with it because you know for, for the most part the best players will sort of flock to to the biggest clubs. So there, there are only a you know a few outliers where, where you see an exceptional player at, at a club, which isn't ever in contention for any sort of silverware. So, you know, you get the occasional outlier, maybe a, a Harry Kane would be the big one, but even then he had the opportunity, didn't he, with Spurs, who, who did reach the Champions League final. Uh, and th- those are the games where you look to your big players. So it, it's 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 not completely unfair to sort of suggest that if you're a big player at a big club who, who's at least in contention, that then maybe you do need to look to silverware as that just kind of extra, you know, tiny margin of a player who can sort of get his team over the finish line, carry them that final final couple of yards, I suppose. And again, players who, who don't do that and can go through their whole careers without winning trophies, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not in that very top echelon. But, you know, it's it's the nature of the award. And much like much like no one complains about trophies being the ultimate measure of, of team success, you know, you, you kind of have to accept it as part and parcel, even, even in these kind of individual awards, I think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, and it obviously could have been very different for Salah. I think, you know, the Ballon d'Or is effectively, you know, football's answer to kind of the, the MVP awards that they have in America. Um, and one thing that's interesting with those is, I think a lot of the time, you know, if you look at the NBA, for example, they would generally go to kind of, you know, a player from one of the teams who has the best records. But every so often you get a 
a team who finishes lower down, but they've been dragged maybe into the playoffs by someone who's put up kind of this huge kind of individual season where they put the team on their back. And to relate that back to Salah, you know, his best season at Liverpool is unquestionably his first. But after that, I think you can probably make the case that 2021 and 22-23, where you think he he got sort of 30-31 goals in those years, Liverpool really struggled. They might arguably be his, you know, most impressive seasons after that, because that's when he really had to drag the team forward himself. So many other players were kind of either injured in the first example or in the second one, you know, really struggling for form. But, you know, Salah was always there. And part of me thinks that, you know, as much as the awards are deemed by an individual shining within a strong collective, maybe there's actually an argument that those who deliver when the team around them is struggling are actually more impressive. The one, the one counter to that, I would say, is, you know, you mentioned there about taking them the next couple of yards when it comes to winning trophies and getting the fine margins on side. I think that if a player is producing big moments in big matches, then that is inherently more valuable. So if, you know, we mentioned Haaland and Mbappe before, if those two are going for the Ballon d'Or one year, and, you know, Mbappe's got much better numbers than Haaland, but Haaland scores the winner in the Champions League final. For me, you know, that puts him ahead. And you look at a Liverpool example, 2019, Alisson, that game against uh, Napoli in the Champions League, he makes that save from Milik. Obviously, that is kind of a, a crucial moment. Without that, Liverpool don't win the Champions League. And I think that is kind of more valuable as a, as a piece of kind of heroism for, from a player than kind of, yeah, maybe someone's doing it on a more regular basis, you know, bailing their team out. But in that pressure, in that moment, that means kind of so much historically. I think that is kind of more valuable. So that is where I, I used to kind of be at the school of thought that, you know, these individual awards, the logic behind them is just completely flawed. But I do think that these big moments should hold sway. And those big moments are often tied to, you know, collective fortunes and, and obviously going for trophies and things like that. Um, and they're about the narrative as well, aren't they? I mean, if you wanted them to just be on the on pure numbers, you have things like the golden boot, you know, golden glove. Uh, and, you know, there's value in those awards and maybe there's more value because they're a bit more objective. You look at the numbers and you declare the winner based on who has statistically done the best. And, that, you know, there's a place for that. But I think there is also a place for, for things like the Ballon d'Or where, yes, players basically do have to craft a compelling narrative over the course of a season to to be in with a real shout. Like you look at Messi finally winning the World Cup, that's almost guaranteed him the trophy this, this year. And I, I don't see a problem with it. I think there's a place for it alongside the more kind of objective awards we see in football. Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately people just find that more appealing and more absorbing as well. Because, you know, I looked at the odds recently. I mean, Messi's the huge favourite to win this year, even though Haaland has scored, I think he scored an excess of 50 goals, didn't he? Obviously, Man City won the treble. You look at that and normally you think, well, he should be an absolute lock. But I think just the fact that Messi kind of, as you know, as the greatest player has finally achieved kind of the one thing that was eluding him really and won the World Cup. I think that narrative power is just, you know, too much to resist. And I don't necessarily have an issue with that, even if I don't know if objectively it is the right decision. I just think that, you know, ultimately the narrative and and kind of the more sentimental side of things is what we are kind of driven by as fans. And if the award, if the awards are kind of matching up to that, then that's fair enough. But um, to bring it back to, you know, the Liverpool discussion, um, we talked about Mohamed Salah 
obviously, you know, it's going to depend heavily on his future and whether he's going to be in contention, but he will be there every year, if not. A couple of other players who might be in with a shout in in the future. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold was probably the one that we both looked at, you know, preparing for this episode, James, and thought he's the one alongside Salah who, who really stands out. So why is it that that Trent, and we're not saying he's necessarily going to be a front runner, but why is it that, you know, as someone who's still quite young, why is it he might have a chance of, of being certainly in the picture for this award during his career? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think it's that that balance of kind of being in a good team, but also being sort of having that team built around him. Like you look at the Liverpool teams that have done well under Klopp and everyone's been important, everyone's been a sort of cog in it. But then you look at who it's kind of rotating around almost and, and that's the player who's going to be in contention. We mentioned when Van Dijk came second, that was when he sort of came in. He was the transformative figure. He he sort of elevated Liverpool from sort of Champions League places to contend honours. And you look at Trent as the sort of almost equivalent of the next great Liverpool team, if you like. There's a there's this sense that it'll be built around him. I mean, you'd have the disclaimer that we could really do with getting that contract sorted, given that that's that's done in 2025. So you'd hope you'd hope there'd be some progress on that. But assuming, as as most people do, he will sort of be that kind of one club figure, the Liverpool through and through. He's almost the the heir to Gerrard in that respect, isn't he? He was another one who did pretty well in these in these discussions in the past again never winning it but I think made the top three on one occasion was certainly in and around a few times and yeah it's he has the narrative on his side we touched upon that being an important factor the, the academy boy and you know it, if he has a great season and Liverpool enjoy some collective success he will be the one the narrative focuses on I think but you know it's it's not just about that either it is about the fact that he just an exceptionally talented footballer. He has that kind of Hollywood factor that maybe maybe helps players going for this award. And he is a moments player as well. You know, you could go back to that Barcelona game, of course, with the corner taken quickly. And, you know, he has that kind of thing in his repertoire. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just a case of that that mixture of, of an irresistible storyline and an irresistible talent, if you like. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I mean, what what Trent has is kind of the combination of of the numbers that he can put up, um, which is obviously really important. I mean, he's someone who could probably certainly challenge for that Premier League assist record in a season. And by the time he finishes his career, I think he's going to be right up there on you know the all time list. I mean, I think when he got the assist for Soboslai against Villa in the last game before the international break, I think that took him above um, Mesut Ozil, Eden Hazard. I mean, for the age years now, to already be overtaking names like that shows you the path that he's on, really. But I think, you know, you mentioned there, you know, the Hollywood factor. I think Trent has kind of the, almost the, the aesthetics that you need as well in terms of he's not necessarily a midfield player who's, you know, just, you know, pure functional, for example. Like, Rodri was arguably Man City's most important player last season, but he's just he was not going to win the Ballon d'Or really because people aren't going to kind of people aren't really going to be captured by the sort of dirty side of the game, you know, the defensive midfield work, which is obviously crucially important, but it doesn't you know, capture the imagination. Whereas I think Trent, because of this passing ability that he has, I think is someone who who could do that. 
Um, and I think you make a crucial point as well in terms of the team being built around them. Obviously, the system changed. There was multiple explanations for that, but really the biggest one was probably getting the best out of him. And it does feel like this kind of Liverpool 2.0, if that's what you want to call it, is geared around Trent. I mean, you look at the numbers, most games he is the player with the most touches, the most passes and things like that. And throughout his career, there's sort of been a trend of his form being tied to Liverpool's form. Um, So he is kind of emerging as probably the most important player of this era. So naturally, if Liverpool do enjoy a lot of success, then he, he will be someone who is in the conversation. Um, there's one more player I want to touch on, but before that, I mean, we we alluded to it with the, the Van Dijk versus Messi question at the start, but how, do you think Trent's position could, could count against them in this? And you, you mentioned it for Bellingham too, in terms of Trent operating in midfield, because no fullback has ever won the Ballon d'Or. And only four central midfield players have done it. I think, to be honest, Modric is the only one who's who's done it kind of in the, the modern the modern era. Just will the very fact that he's not an attacker count heavily against him? Uh, potentially. I, I almost think if he stays at least kind of at right back, it, it probably enhances his chances compared to moving into midfield because he almost sets a lower bar for himself when he's a defender. So when you post, you know, sort of 25 goal contributions in a season or something, if you do that from defence, suddenly it's this really remarkable achievement. So that's the kind of thing that appeals to to the Ballon d'Or voters, which is, of course, just, you know, people in the football community, you know, international captains, managers, etc. So, yeah, I think when he was doing that from defence, I, th- I think that does it almost enhance his chances in a weird sort of way. It probably hurts him compared to not being a forward because there is just this inherent bias towards forwards. But I, I don't think it's impossible for him to win it as a right back. I think if he permanently moves into midfield, if, if anything, it becomes even harder because, you know, he'll be one of not loads, but, you know, a, a handful of world-class midfielders. We, we touched upon one, like you say, with Bellingham who are all, you know, doing extraordinary things and maybe not shining in the numbers for a midfielder, but just doing really well on the pitch. And, you know, in that context, it's even harder to stand out far enough to to win these kind of awards. But I I don't think it makes it impossible. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as well, you know, if Trent stays in this hybrid role, you know, how how much of a playmaking impact he does have going forward. Because I think he's probably been a little bit quieter than we thought at the start of the current season. But that's obviously probably, you know, Liverpool have had difficult fixtures. They've been down to 10 men for like a combined 90 minutes or something like that. So it's very hard to kind of read what it's going to look like going forward. But certainly if he can build on the levels at the back end of last season, where I think he got seven assists in 10 games or something like that, then he's he's going to be someone who is sort of, he does have a lot of critics as well. I've seen the defensive side. Maybe that's where moving into midfield and um, part-time will help him. But, he, you know, He's definitely going to be regarded, I think, as one of the best in the world if he's not up there already. I think that that moment is coming soon. I mean, there's only one more player I wanted to to sort of focus on, and maybe we'll get a couple more wildcard names in a second, but universally regarded, um, well, maybe not universally, but an increasing amount of people recognise that Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world. It won't be long, I think, before there's a widespread conversation about whether he is the best to ever play 
in the Premier League as well, so, such as the levels that he's reaching on a consistent basis at the moment. There is only one goalkeeper who's ever won the award, that's Levy Ashen. But could Allison? I mean, I mean, obviously goalkeepers have more longevity. If there's anyone who can change that, is there is there a chance that it might be him? Yeah, I suppose so. And I mean, he has the advantage of, of being with Brazil on the international stage, that there's another issue there because he's not a guaranteed starter that's between him and Edison. And then, you know, it's occasionally there's there's a third keeper who comes in from the Brazilian league. I can't remember, can't remember exactly who that is, but there, there's a whole sort of rotation going on there. But if he sort of nails down that space for Brazil at a major tournament, you know, probably the World Cup realistically, and Brazil wins, which obviously they've not done for a little while now, then um, then that would throw his name into contention. You know, the World Cup is a big deal with this award. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned with Salah, it's kind of a case of marrying that together with a campaign where the team enjoys success on, on a collective level. Because that's even more important for goalkeepers, I think. We, we've seen this year with the, the Yashin Trophy, Alisson not even nominated, despite having what I think is probably his best ever Liverpool season, which is saying something, considering he's been incredible since he joined. So, yeah, it's. Um, I think it would take a lot of circumstances beyond Alisson's control for him to come into contention, because I think it would depend on how well Brazil did outfield and how well Liverpool did outfield, which is, you know, a little bit ridiculous. But... I think that's the reality of it. But yeah, if those things happened at once, I, I think he probably would get talked about. Yeah, I mean, it just occurred to me then as well that the bar is so high for him because 2019 Liverpool win the Champions League, Brazil win the Copa America, and still that that's not enough for, for Alisson to, to win it. Obviously, that is maybe the the consequence of the, of the Messi-Ronaldo era, so maybe it opens up a little bit for him, but... Again, it's one of them where you know if that Premier League title race that year it goes the other way by by you know a point. Obviously, it was a very fine margin. That then maybe we are talking about Alisson, maybe we are talking about Van Dijk. But I think you make a key point on the World Cup as well. I mean, Cannavaro. You, you look down. You look down the list of kind of Ballon d'Or winners this year. He stands out as one where you have to pause and you're a bit surprised by it. But again, you know, obviously Italy won the World Cup, and I think. That held sway much as Messi winning it this year will hold sway, albeit for slightly different reasons, even in the face of what Haaland has been doing. Um, so one last question before we finish then, James. Um, not necessarily completely serious on this one because it's it's unlikely, but is there any kind of wild card shouts that you'd suggest of players that have a ceiling high enough where, where they could be in contention for the award? Yeah, I think what I was most obviously drawn to when when I saw the question was was Darwin Nunez. Um, you're almost loath to say it because he's already had far too much pressure piled on him with all of the Haaland comparisons and everything, but Liverpool clearly saw that really high ceiling in him. That's why they potentially broke the transfer record. And you can understand where the Haaland comparisons come from. They play in a similar way. He has that potential to just go mad with goals. And we, we've spoken about it, you know, on and off throughout the, the show, really, how the Ballon d'Or loves goals and he's he is the pure goal scorer in this Liverpool squad right now and yeah if, if he goes on a run which we've seen him do for Benfica if he does that for Liverpool on the way to some honours I, I think he'll be in the conversation much like Haaland is in the conversation this year um yeah again we're in we're in wildcard territory and I don't necessarily expect him to reach those heights I'm just happy that he's making the sort of steady progress that he is and, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I think, 
like you say, in terms of both the ceilings of the existing players and, you know, the, the kind of criteria we tend to be looking at for Ballon d'Or winners, I think he's probably the one who needs to be in that conversation. Yeah, I think I can definitely see the logic behind that one. Um, in terms of just throwing some names out there without kind of too much thought, I mean, Luis Diaz finished um, joint 17th last year. I mean, he, he was nominated. He feels like, I mean, maybe when Salah leaves, we'll see kind of another attacker take on, you know, the mantle um, in terms of reaching the big goal scoring numbers. And maybe that'll be the one in contention. I think there's a possibility for him. Obviously, Cody Gakpo is still quite young, but, you know, is he kind of, is his role maybe too subtle to kind of merit widespread appreciation if he is going to be that false nine? I don't know. And then I think the other name I would just kind of throw throw into the fire a little bit is, is Dominic Sobersly. Just not necessarily, you know, on the basis of, you know, his Liverpool career, which has been obviously four games long up to this point, but he is only 22. And, you know, the potential that he's got in terms of reaching a world-class level is, is plain to see. So maybe in five years' time, for example, um, we're talking about someone who's one of the best kind of central midfielders in the world, and then that gets him into the conversation. But... Yeah, so it's it's obviously not just the case of Salah, not just about Trent. You know, it's really hard to predict what the, what the future is going to look like. Um, and there's a possibility that a surprise name from from Liverpool's kind of current squad or maybe one of their youngsters um, forces their way into the Ballon d'Or picture. But yeah, we'll leave it there uh, for this podcast. Um, thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime... Do check out all the written content that goes up on liverpool.com. And when we're back next week, we'll have more Premier League action to talk about. So, yeah, we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.